0: I've only seen, you know, The Crystal Skull twice. And if I wanted
1: to... Whoa, 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 whoa. You've seen Kingdom of the Crystal Skull twice? You gave them your money twice? (laughs) No,
0: no, no. I I only gave them my money once.
1: I was sorry I did that after I saw the film. I said I will never see this film ever again so long as I shall live.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the reason I watched it twice... Well, we we won't get into that too deep. But the reason I watched it twice was because I was like... Really? Was it really that bad? <laughs> yeah, it
1: really was. This is Movie Bite, a show where we discuss, praise, lament, and sometimes we lampoon movies, TV shows, culture, and more. The show is hosted by me, I'm TJ Draper, and by my co-host, Joseph Darnell. How are you, Joseph? Hey, good evening, TJ. Glad to be back. So, doing well, had a busy week?
0: Yes, it's uh, been a very tiresome week, but a good week, a good work week, getting a lot done.
1: Good, good, good. Yeah, I uh, actually had some time, I had a a day, it wasn't a day off yesterday because I was working a lot more on Movie Byte yesterday, and I knew I was going to be working again Friday and Saturday, or Thursday and Friday, what am I saying? So that'd be today and tomorrow. Uh, But I did get some work done on uh, Movie Byte, I added some drop-down menus, which... uh, we're going to tweak a little bit, but I'm um, happy with them for the most part. So, uh, that's going to be very beneficial when we launch uh, Movieology to have, because uh, uh, I was trying to figure out, okay, we're going to yeah. add another podcast to the site. How on earth, uh, where are we going to put that in the navigation? Because there's not a lot more room on the navigation bar. And so, it's like, oh, well, I, we just we need drop-down menus, so.
0: In our main nav, did it always say podcasts? It did plural? not. It said podcast
1: okay. because we only had one. Uh, but now we're going to be adding more than one, so podcasts seemed more appropriate.
0: Yeah, it does. So.
1: All right, well, uh, we should uh, get on to our topics here. We have a few things to discuss uh, news news item-wise, and then we're going to be moving on to our main topic, Raiders of the Lost Ark, released in IMAX. So I'm excited to talk about that film from 1981. How about you? Yeah,
0: I, I think the timing was impeccable. I, I love watching a good Indiana Jones movie, so I'm glad yeah. it came up when it
1: did. Well, we'll get to that in a few minutes. Uh, first, first thing up we wanted to talk about was a fifth installment in the Pirates of the Caribbean series. Joseph, how did, how did you feel about the fourth movie uh, on Stranger Tides? <sighs>
0: Going in, I felt like, why are they doing this? And uh, the main problem being that, you know, it's not like a Star Trek film or a James Bond film. In James Bond, it's like the movies are episodic. They introduce a villain, they take care of the villain, and it's done. Uh, James Bond comes close to death, but he survives. Right. The next movie doesn't really have that much to do with the movie before it. With the exception of this newest collection of films with Daniel Craig, this is the first time they've really tried to um, incorporate development of James Bond across the these multiple installments. Yeah. I wonder if the books were like that. If I, if the, you know, graphic, I don't know if they were graphic novels. I think the originals were just novels uh, that James Bond was based on. So with the Pirates of the Caribbean though, it's very different. They started a story with, you know, part one and if, and they finished that story very epically. So, yeah, With you, the third installment.
1: Well, yeah, and but even... It's interesting, though, that you say that. There was no sense of, oh, there's going to be a second and third movie to complete a trilogy. after The, the first one kind of stood on its own. Uh, and then and then after it made all this money, because I don't think Disney knew what they had. And as you know, it was just a movie based on a ride at Disney World. And, and so they're like, well, we'll just make this movie and see what happens. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but that's the way it seemed. And I, I remember thinking about the first movie, well... That was a fun movie, but there was nothing about it that said, there we're, here, this is the setup for the sequels.
0: You're um, right. Did you feel that way about Star Wars or the Indiana Jones movies? Because a lot of people say that about those two.
1: Not about Star Wars. I think, uh, I, Although I think you get a little bit of that with Star Wars because uh, nobody knew what it was going to be exactly. I think George Lucas always had in mind uh, more than one film, but he was an unknown at the time. Uh, and and let's not get into George Lucas too much, lest my lest uh, lest less my sour grapes about my childhood being spoiled come out. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah. no, uh, I I think that he always had more than one movie in mind. But I think he was forced to do the first movie as a little bit more of a standalone, uh, just because nobody knew what they had and and nobody knew who he was. That sort of thing. That that's my impression. So
0: well well as it goes for Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, the f- the fourth installment felt like it was very independent of the other three. Sure, definitely. And, and, but if if you're going to continue the story, I would have enjoyed it had the fourth one f- introduced a, a, another saga, like it, that there would be a part two to the fourth film. Agreed. And, and y- that- y- some, something to carry it on, something to excuse it as... Well, if we're going to have a fifth film, there's going to be a reason for it, right? That it actually ties into something.
1: I, I, I completely agree. And not only that, here's, here's what I thought when I first saw the... Because to me, Pirates of the Caribbean is about the trio Will and Elizabeth and Captain Jack Sparrow and of course there's lots of other fun characters right and, but as but, Disney
0: taught us it's really not about the trio it's really about Johnny Depp's gorgeous face and And I I don't, money. I don't
1: but I don't agree with them. I think that um you know and I know there are people out there who don't like Will and Elizabeth and it's all about Jack Sparrow or whatever but I think the 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 Pirates of the Caribbean is about those three. And I wanted to know more like uh, okay so I I didn't have, like, the third film, I felt like maybe didn't quite come up to the level of the first two, but at the same time, it was okay, and I, it was, but my biggest complaint was like, okay, why, why exactly can't Elizabeth be on the ship with, (laughs) with, uh, Will? I don't get that.
0: Oh, I was almost in tears at that point, because, well, not like I, I really cared about the movie series, but if there was anything about the movie series I cared about, it was that Will should get what he wants.
1: Sure, I agree. Uh, so, I felt like but,
0: why 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 did they have to give him the bum rap?
1: And I but I wanted to know like I wanted the story to unfold more. There was obviously going to be more happening. I mean, now Will has a, a a gig so to speak that he has to he's compelled and bound to do and and they gave us that teaser at the very end of the credits of the third film with uh Elizabeth and her child that she obviously conceived on their honeymoon night. Um and so it just uh I wanted to know more about how that all unfolded and maybe what happened in the interim and that sort of thing. Hmm. So, uh, but of and, course, and if they... they they made it all. I mean, they ditched all the other characters and it's you know you you bring back Captain Barbosa and you've got Johnny Depp, uh, you know, and and we've got a movie apparently. And and I I felt like that film. Well, I was there was lots of problems with the film, but I I felt like it was sim- <laughs> simply a money grab at for Johnny Depp fans.
0: Yeah, unfortunately. A great opportunity, like introducing a real pirate like Blackbeard, they really squandered.
1: Oh, he He, totally. he was a
0: throwaway character and role.
1: He really was. Uh, you, you know what bothered me the most about this film, though, of everything, was I, the voodoo. I, I can't stand voodoo, and it just really bothered me. <laughs> I just, mm. ugh, I can't mm. stand it. Anyway.
0: Well, what, you mean just uh, in general as a movie plot device?
1: That and of all the things, like, like magic, you're in fantasy world, but voodoo is a real thing. It, I, I believe, as a, uh, people may think I'm crazy, I don't know how many Christians and non-Christians we have listening to this thing, but I think there's real satanic things going on there, and uh, that kind of bothers me. Whereas when you're in the realm of magic and stuff, you're, you're completely in fantasy world. Uh, all of Pirates of the Caribbean has always been fantasy, so that was just a little off putting to me. I don't know how you feel about that. But that's 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 where I was at on that. It was just like, ugh, really? Seriously? Come on, guys. So
0: Well, nothing is sacred in Hollywood, you know.
1: This is true. But but you know, anyway, getting on to a fifth movie. I'm not opposed to a fifth movie. I saw our friend uh uh I, I believe it was Corey commented on on my post on Facebook about it. Yeah. Here's what our friend Corey Poff said on Facebook. Uh I, I posted it to my wall as well as to the movie byte wall. The link to this uh, that I story that I ran on earlier, he says, "Does this franchise not know when to die?" Yeah, <laughs> and uh, Br- uh, Brantley Disharoon said, "Oh heck no." <laughs> so there's there's a little bit of uh, negative sentiment out here, at least among co- two of our readers. Um, uh, and you know, I'm I'm a little bit more ambivalent. I think, like I, I'll probably go see it in the theater, uh, especially now that we're running movie bite, just so I can I can have commentary about it. Uh, yeah. and, and and you know what? If they have a good story? Yes, I'm all for it. But uh I don't know. Uh we'll see. Uh that's all that's really all I have to say. I'm a little bit ambivalent. I I I hope it's story driven and not oh, let's do another film driven.
0: Well, every now and then in Hollywood when they're preparing sequels, they make a bad one. And then to sort of it, it, I I you know, I don't know anything behind the scenes, but it, based on Hollywood history, it seems oftentimes that they make the effort to come back with a sequel following up the bad one to make up for it. Sure. They, they, they want to redeem themselves. They it could be, they feel bad about what they did. Like, what were we thinking? And, you I, know,
1: I hope so. I, I, I would love to think that
0: that that's the only hope I see for this fifth part that they, that they're trying to really say, well, if we're going to bother to do this because the producers insist least ways if well it if we're going to do it we're going to make it good
1: i hope you're right and 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 that, i guess that's the biggest gripe i'll just say this and then we need to move on uh the biggest gripe about the fourth one is they wanted to make a movie so they went and found a story and not that they had a great story they wanted to tell and that's just bad movie making yeah so all right much ado about nothing helmed <laughs> by joss whedon and your comment here on this on the notes is Whedon's doing what now? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's
0: let's think here. Joss Whedon is known for well, one of his earliest film um, credits was one of the writing writers of uh, the original Toy Story right, movie. Right. Beyond that, let's see. He did uh, several television series. He did.
1: You want me to name them all for you? I'm a bit well, of a fanboy. Well, let, let's let's
0: see. Let's see if I know them. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And then after that one, he did Firefly.
1: Uh, nope, you missed one.
0: Oh, okay. So he did Dollhouse first?
1: Nope, that came after Firefly.
0: Oh. Okay, what am I missing? Angel. Oh, that's right. That only lasted a short time, right?
1: Five seasons. What? Yeah, it was a great show. Maybe, maybe better than Buffy. Did it overlap Buffy? It did. They started mm. in Buffy's fourth season. Interesting. Angel was a character and they also
0: had something to do with each other too. Yeah,
1: Angel was a character from Buffy. Angel is a vampire who uh was cursed, I say cursed with air quotes, with a soul by the gypsies so that he could suffer for all the things he did cuz he killed some as a, as a as a soulless vampire he killed some gypsy's uh daughter. And so they cursed him with a soul and he and that so he felt the pain of everyone he'd ever killed. And that sort of thing and and so of course, it led to angel being a hero, and he fights the good fight uh and and so that's what angel's about, anyway, but that's neither here nor there some someday we should i I love that series, and we should do a podcast on it, perhaps, but this is not that day, so Buffy angel, firefly, dollhouse um wow. yeah, so uh yeah, t v shows.
0: Uh, there was something else too a couple of TV movies probably here
1: yeah well he did of course he was behind the original Buffy movie which he kind of lost control of so I I don't really fault him for how bad a movie that was (laughs) but uh, anyway
0: there was also also the follow up movie to Firefly and that that was okay
1: Serenity yes I have not seen it yet because I have not finished believe it or not as much as I loved Firefly somehow I stopped watching it I I had started to watch it on Netflix and I stopped watching I got involved in something else and I'm going to finish it in fact, I'm going to start over and make sure I get the whole good series. I'm going to watch Serenity. But uh, hmm. yeah, so this uh, Much Ado About Nothing is a bit odd for Joss. Yeah, I, I don't know.
0: I, I, surely there, there will come out a interview with Joss between now and the time the film comes out. And I, I just can't wait to hear his explanation.
1: The interesting thing is that uh, I, I've noticed this about Joss Whedon. He likes when once he finds an actor that he likes, he will tend to use them again and again. Uh, Alexis Denisof and Amy Acker are apparently the leads, and uh, Alexis Denisof is uh, an alum from Buffy and Angel. Uh, Amy Acker was in three seasons of Angel as a main character, um, hmm. and uh, of course Nathan Fillion had a small part in Buffy, and he was the lead in Firefly. Um, he's also in Much Ado About Nothing. Um, Sean Mayer so is had a Much role in Ado... Firefly.
0: So is this movie A Much Ado About Nothing a modernization of the original story, or
1: I I do not know, and it's uh you know I really don't know much about Much Ado About Nothing. You'd have, my my wife is the Shakespeare person, uh, <laughs> you know,
0: and now that he is a you know a huge Hollywood hit for Avengers, I assume that this movie's coming out in theaters.
1: Yeah, I uh I, I would assume so. Let's let's see. Let me go back to the link I posted earlier and just see what. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to look it up right now. I'm I, I'm not finding release information on like on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, let's try Bandango. Um, yeah, I don't know why I didn't think to look that up um, earlier.
0: On the on the on the good side, uh, you know, Captain America is getting a sequel. Uh, Thor Two is already in its sequel. Joss Whedon doesn't have anything to do with those.
1: Well, except and, he is kind of driving the Marvel Universe right now.
0: Oh, Okay. And then there's also an Iron Man three, so you know Iron Man still gets uh up on screen again probably before the next Avengers film. you know that's good. okay, so but I kind of want another Avengers film
1: Yeah, definitely. Here's what Fandango says about because uh, I, I tried looking up winter t- you know I looked up the movie found the movie it opens on october twenty third put in my zip code uh, I had the search range pretty wide and it says uh, this times are not yet available in your area we'll send you an email as soon as tickets for this movie are available if you like. Um, so that doesn't, in, does not indicate a wide release.
0: Thanks a lot. Google. Um, we try it. It, 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 Did you already try Fandango, uh, as well?
1: That was Fandango. That oh, okay. was Fandango 37064. Okay, I can try the Franklin zip code just in case my zip code is just not picking anything up. Nope. Not available in Franklin. So that's definitely not a wide release because hmm. we have a pretty big theater in Franklin. So, uh, all right. Well, so anyway, but that's much ado about nothing. I would kind of like to see it, just uh, even though I'm not familiar with Shakespeare and stuff, and that's kind of my wife's arena. Um, it's Joss Whedon, and, you know, it has actors that I know, so it could be interesting. But. Hmm. Uh,
0: well, this week in uh, good ish DVD releases, if you're sticking around home to catch your movie entertainment, um, there's really not much worth noting right now. Like. The top of the charts for new DVDs this week is Titanic. So I'm like, really? Now, uh, TJ, you would probably debate with me with Snow White and the Huntsman.
1: Definitely. Being, uh, definitely. Uh, near pick the top it up. of the charts. Yeah, definitely pick it up.
0: So that's new on DVD. Yes. And we're going to be talking about that soon. Next week. Yeah. Oh,
1: okay. Sweet. Let's but you have, you have listed here for greater glory.
0: Well, this was something that came to my attention when it came out for DVD. And at first I thought it was starring the same guy who was in, uh, what, uh, hmm. oh, what is that movie? Oh, well, he's playing Lincoln. Uh, Daniel day. Daniel Lewis, day yeah. Lewis. I thought it was starring him by the looks of the actor who's playing the main character on the cover of the movie. The movie is called for greater glory and it stars Andy Garcia but he, the way his get up, you know, he looks like uh, there will be blood. You know, he kind of looks like that mystique. And I was like, oh, OK, it's another guy, you know, another movie with Daniel Day Lewis I hadn't heard of. So I clicked on it and I was checking out the specs. It's a story. Well, it's kind of historical in nature. So this is what it says for itself. Here's something like uh, the summary of the movie. Here's movie info. What would you pay for the price of freedom? In the exhilarating action epic for greater glory, an impassioned group of men and women each make the decision to risk it all for family, faith, and the future of their very country. As the film's adventure unfolds against the long-hidden true story of the 1920s Cristero War, the Daring People's Revolt, they're rocked 20th century North America. So it's all about the Spanish and the Mexicans. Um, looks pretty cool uh, on the surface. But the trailer, yeah, the, as it came I, across to me, <laughs> was a bit uh, o- I, I, overdoing I just, something.
1: I'd never heard of this film before you listed it here. And and so I went and I watched the trailer and I got to tell you, the first thing I noticed about halfway through the trailer, the, the, a voiceover guy comes in, and he sounds like he's trying to be the big deep bass guy. What 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 was his name? I can't remember it. James but, Earl Jones? No, 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 no. You, famous va- voiceover guy. Anyway, he's trying to be the big deep bassy, and he's trying to even put that inflection in the at the end of his sentences, like. Coming to theaters now, you, you know, that, and and it just it was so over the top, like, and and you could tell he was trying so hard, and it was, and he was failing miserably. You're then, talking
0: about Andy Garcia, uh or are you talking about? No, some there was a. Voice the it trailer?
1: was a voiceover. It it was a, apart oh. from an actor in the film. I'm talking about a voiceover. About halfway through the trailer, he started voiceovering. Oh. And then so so there was that, and and, and then as the as the trailer progressed. Uh, I, I I was just like, wow, this looks like this. This has nothing endearing to me that I would want to see this movie. And then you you uh, I have to give you credit for this line because you send it to me in chat, and, and I am. Uh, it looks like a bleeding heart religious crusader flick. I'm like, yes, nail meat hammer head.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, in, in that in that regard, you know, this film looks like it could have been a very popular film a few decades ago and i don't know i don't really know the story about th- this film so i don't know what's going on but uh it's kind of peculiar to me that the critics rate it very very poorly it gets an 18% on, uh, out of 100 on right. rotten tomatoes right and that's uh that's counting out of 44 critics and uh only f- 8 of them gave it fresh and 36 of them gave it rotten
1: right on on the other hand uh, 80, 80% of the audience liked it.
0: And that is really ca- peculiar. For one, that I really had not heard anything about this film that stars some, you know, a few good names. And then it's an interesting premise, you know, even if I, I uh, the verdict is still out on this movie. But then that the audience loved it so much out of 26,000 ratings from audience members yeah. got an 81 <laughs> this happens every now and then and sometimes it's because Hollywood has a beef about something that they're not willing to accept in a movie so they diss it just because they can't mm-hmm. and then the audience comes along and tells the truth but then on the other hand Sometimes a popcorn a popcorn flick really is just a popcorn flick, and there's really not all that much there.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's so hard. Sometimes when there's this much of a dichotomy between the critics and the audience, it's so hard to tell what happened. And and it's it's like, is there some sort of agenda here that that the critics are are not you know didn't line up with the critics what they had in mind, or or, what, or maybe what
0: is it? it's a, an agenda of the audience. Maybe all twenty six thousand of those people were, uh, I don't know. Yeah, had well, an agenda of their own.
1: Well, as I said, I'm I'm predisposed not to like it because the trailer looks so horrible. But uh, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Movies uh,
0: I, are bad until proven good.
1: Uh I kind of take that approach, it seems like, sometimes. I'm like, I don't know. Well, it depends, because there's some movies I get excited about. But anyway, well, we you know, we're we're pretty far into this podcast. We should move on to our main topic.
0: <laughs> okay, let's do that. Raiders so, of the Lost Art Yes. IMAX. Dun, 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 dun.
1: Yes. Uh so the, I love that theme. So uh what do we want to say about this film Joseph? You you know you okay, you are yeah. you are more familiar with the film. It's like this is more a part of your childhood than mine. I my dad was certainly a a big like I knew that he loved Indiana Jones movies, but I I've only seen all three of these movies uh maybe one or two times before this. Mm.
0: Is there any particular reason you hadn't seen it with your uh, dad?
1: Oh, no, I've seen it with my dad when I was a kid once. I'm, I'm, mm. I I can kind of remember it. I don't remember much about the movies, but I remember seeing, you know, he, he oh, yeah, let's watch, uh, we'll go rent uh, from the local video store, ride your bike down and get Raiders of the Lost Ark. And so I would, uh, or, or whatever. Um, so certainly, but I don't have any vivid memories of them. So then I saw them again. I, uh, I You saw, used to
0: ride your bike down to the video rental store?
1: Sure. I rode my bike. awesome i rode my bike everywhere and we lived in a small town market heights illinois and uh it it was a great little place and i had a paper route and i rode my bike on that and uh there was a video rental store maybe less than a mile from our house just a little did you see you
0: had did ho- you see you had a paper route i did wow you are so quaint
1: <laughs> this is awesome. I, I think every kid should have a paper route. It was good for me. I, I was you know, making my own money buying my own clothes, but we're getting off topic. Uh, this little little video store. so um anyway I, I would uh that's how I saw it I don't remember anything about it, but I watched them again later. i think I think it was right after I got married. my wife and I were, you know hey let's let's oh, these are old movies, let's watch these let's let's remember these. And boy, I, I remember not liking them very much at all. And that would include Raiders, uh, even though I thought, well, uh, certainly uh, Temple of Doom, I believe it was, was the worst, for sure. And, 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 you know, there was something endearing about The Last Crusade because, you know, Sean Connery. But I don't remember having that great of a feeling about Raiders. And so when I went into I, the yeah. IMAX, it was, it was a far better film than I remembered. Hmm. And maybe that's the power, again, of me going in with low expectations.
0: Now, how old were you, did you say,
1: uh, when you saw Raiders? Well, when I saw it and remember it, this was been in about 2005, right after I got married. Uh, but no, when no I, was, I mean
0: when you were young. When
1: I was young, probably seven or eight, nine. Okay.
0: Maybe. Well, was it the first of the Indiana Jones movies you saw?
1: I, I don't remember what order I saw them in. or I'm, I just remember seeing Indiana Jones movies.
0: Hmm. I remember the order because uh, I thought that Sean Connery was funny.
1: Oh, it's, I well, yeah, I love Sean Connery.
0: So he stuck out to me and just the the whole scene with the umbrella shooing away the birds on the beach <laughs> that was a laugh riot yeah for for a happy little kid that i was yeah. who didn't have a who didn't have a paper route
1: but raiders
0: really yeah raiders so when i saw that one i just thought it was a little boring cuz i was like well where's the funny guy and that that's my first impression
1: oh so you saw you saw the last one first yeah
0: i did okay cool. and then my dad wasn't crazy about temple of doom and showing it to us for similar reason object objections you have to voodoo he wasn't crazy about the temple of doom so yeah we didn't see that until i was well, a teenager
1: isn't there voodoo in temple of doom
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah, yeah. Okay, De- I well thought.
0: definitely like you know i don't mean to give away any spoilers here oh, well, but
1: spoiler alert here we go
0: <laughs> yeah indiana jones essentially gets demonically possessed
1: Okay, I you know, I have va- I need to watch them all again because I, it's it's very faint in my memory.
0: Yeah, I think that one of these days we should review that film in relation to Indiana's whole arc as a character because in any of these three movies in isolation, it's difficult to see that Indiana Jones character progressed and it's because of the comic book feel and the way the uh what is it the, like there's there's something like 12 acts you know there the most movies <laughs> are broken down into three act structures sure but this movie is broken into like 8 9 10 11 12 acts Now,
1: now which movie are you referring to specifically
0: uh raiders raiders uh, okay the others are too but not as not so much as raiders
1: yeah they're they're not act structure driven as much as they are Indiana Jones, you know, Crusader, uh, action, you know, he's just doing stuff.
0: Right. But their inspiration for that was that they wanted it to, uh, emulate the pattern of comic book storytelling. So for a section where, uh, Indy is going into the jungle and he's finding the cave and he finally gets to where he can take that relic and put a bag of sand on the pedestal. That yeah. he has to flee was, for his life and that was barely fun, get away. Way. Yeah, that that whole f- snippet was like an a, an act in and of itself that belonged at, like represented a comic book all unto itself.
1: Yeah, although I would have just called that even in a three act structure, I think there was room for that. I think that it just was like a teaser or an opener. Or this is who Indiana Jones is. Let's just establish his character real quick.
0: Mm, okay, so that's
1: how I that's, saw that. But well, you know.
0: another example of this act structure I'm talking about might be when later in the film when Indy finds Marion for the first time and he meets with her at her bar and they introduce her character and then Indy has to save her life and they have to escape um, while her bar is burning down. All of that is kind of a story in and of itself and that was intended to kind of you know, I guess relate to comic books and the way that comic books are told. Yeah. I'm not saying that it works on its own. Like if you had no idea who these characters were before going into the bar, you couldn't appreciate it as much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of need to see the rest of the film in its entirety, but yeah. yeah so there, Raiders.
1: there's, <laughs> a, there's a, tel- a telling quote from the film later on in the film. Indiana tells Sala to meet him. Uh, meet, meet me at Omar's. Be ready for me. I'm going after that truck. And Sala says, how? And Indy says, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, that's kind of the feel of the movie. You know?
0: <laughs> it is. And, uh, you know, peop- mo- just so that everybody understands... You know, we we all know what Raiders it is here, and we're not going to try and convince you that it's an awesome movie or that it's a terrible movie. Yeah. We, have our, we have our own star ratings, but for the most part, we're going to talk about this as fans and try to shed some light on some things that, you know, perhaps a lot of fans don't know. Interesting trivia about the filmmaking process, but also, T.J., because your mind is still fresh about this movie.
1: Right. As I say, you're going to talk about it as a fan. I'm more of an outsider looking in, you know, where I like movies, but I'm not particularly an Indiana Jones fan.
0: Yeah. So. And, and, and I don't blame you. Yeah, everybody's got their flaws. So <laughs> you'll talk about this movie as, you know, a critic. And I'll talk about this more as a fan.
1: Okay. Well, first of all, how, how, did, you, how did you feel about it in IMAX? Did it, did it hold up for you? <sighs>
0: We're going into the movie, I thought, eh, I've seen this movie dozens of times. It's going to be fun, but let's be honest. I've only seen, you know, The Crystal Skull twice, and you, you if I what? wanted to-
1: Whoa, 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 whoa. You've seen Kingdom of the Crystal Skull twice? You gave them your money twice? No,
0: no, no. I, I only gave them my money once.
1: I was sorry I did that after I saw the film. I said I will never see this film ever again so long as I shall live. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the reason I watched it twice—well, we we won't get into that too deep, but the reason I watched it twice was because I was like, really? Was it really that bad? Yeah, it really was. (laughs) And, yeah, that's why I watched it the second time.
1: You did confirm that, right? It really was.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I did. And the other thing, too, was I was kind of wondering, if I watched it again, could I kind of get a bearing on whether or not I should expect another Indiana Jones movie?
1: There's there was talk. Uh, I don't know that it's going to happen, and frankly, I hope it doesn't because it's obvious they don't have any stories.
0: Yeah, at this rate, I kind of don't think so.
1: Yeah, but it
0: would be in in, in another dimension. It'd actually be kind of fun to explore the the future of Indiana Jones with what's his name, uh, Shia LaBeouf involved. But I don't um, I don't expect that. No, for thank hours.
1: you. I'll pass.
0: Yeah, I think I'll pass for our dimension as well.
1: Uh, so, but did, I, I mean... I guess IMAX, I was sorry, I a... keep getting away from am- the IMAX. IMAX, IMAX.
0: Why are we talking ooh, about other the dimensions ooh, right swirl, now?
1: Swirl.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. <clears throat> so IMAX, I, going into the film, kind of thought it'll be fun, but I'm really here just to be with friends. And then when I saw the movie in IMAX, the first five minutes made a huge impression on me. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: For one, I was kind of geeking out. I was like, wow, I've never seen this movie in IMAX. And I don't even know if my kids will have the opportunity to say that they did either. Yeah. So this is cool. And then about five minutes into it, I was like, you know what? This movie has all kinds of detail that I could never see on a regular television. Absolutely. So then I got really engrossed in the realization that as you know poor as the visual effects were the locations and the the you know the those locales and the lighting and the and and several special effects and the sets and the detail the costumes and the aircrafts they were all pretty awesome and there was always eye candy to look at
1: so did you you had some trouble with the visual effects
0: I I th- I thought that they work better on a big screen actually than they do for home entertainment.
1: Hmm. Because yeah, I, I certainly didn't have any trouble with the visual effects.
0: I, I maybe I've seen some poor quality, you know, you know, uh, you know, additions on DVD and the like. I don't know because yeah, maybe, maybe they were even, bad even, transfers. Yeah, because even a couple of versions I saw where there was just you know flashes of lightning up in the sky over Indy while he was. A, a digging there in the desert before they got into the the chamber that had all the snakes underneath the ground. Yeah. Just something as simple as the lightning striking. Uh when I saw it on television looked really cheap. It looked really old. Mm. It looked like it was something um that it just didn't fit. It it looked fake. It looked like they pasted in the lighting a- afterwards and they had to like practically draw it like a cartoon behind Indiana.
1: Well, it uh, you know I'd have to go check for sure, but I'm pretty sure remastering for IMAX includes recompositing. So it could have been that be- previously the film had been you know it, it was a product of its age, and the compositing tools simply were not that great in 1981. It I could bet very you well that's be that's what happened. Yeah, yeah.
0: So now, uh, now at the IMAX theater you saw it. Do you know what kind of IMAX theater you saw
1: it in? I'm do not you... very familiar with IMAX theaters. Okay, because
0: um, well, let me go ahead and bring people up to speed. IMAX theaters are not all equals. You probably know this by now in regards to movies in general, the theaters in general. If you go into your local popular theater cinema, you'll find that they have maybe 12 different screens. And of those 12 screens, two or three or maybe four of them are really big. Yep. And then the rest of them, you know, they get smaller and smaller. Yep, And then there's some of those theater rooms in the back of the hallway. And it takes like two minutes to walk there and, from, from where the popcorn stand is. And you get back there and it's a little tiny room. And you're like, really? I could just, just watch this at home, you know? So with IMAX, it's kind of the same gig. Uh, not all IMAXs are equal. And I didn't know this when I saw the movie myself at the local AMC theater, in Kennesaw, Georgia, but it was very impressive. But as impressive as it was, it actually wasn't up to spec. It wasn't the genuine highest quality spec that you can get for an IMAX theater. Mm. The closest IMAX theater that has all of the true IMAX quality is like three hours away from me. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was really surprised by that. And so, you know, naturally, I didn't go out there to see it. Even so, the IMAX screen I saw it on was huge. It was like two, three times bigger than your standard theater yeah, room yeah, screen. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. Mine was too.
0: What yeah. I noticed uh, that was subpar was that there was a few moments when it seemed like from angle to angle through a scene, there was a few camera shots where... Like when they were looking at the tarantulas on their, you know, on their shoulders and on their backs in the, ca- in the cave. The, for some reason, the shots were like jittery and hmm. almost like seeing double vision of detail. I didn't, like the tarantulas were blurry.
1: I didn't notice that. What I noticed was a lot of your wider shots, what we, uh, it looked like probably second unit shots, or tended to be much, uh, visibly less quality.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I didn't notice that.
1: Okay. I didn't so notice weird. it with the spiders. I I did notice one or two I didn't mention it in my review because it didn't it, you know, it didn't really affect anything, but I did notice one or two times the the focus felt soft. Um uh, but that was just one, like once or twice. So.
0: Yeah, you got to remember their technology on cameras back then was not up to par with what we have these days.
1: Right. Well, they probably didn't have. I I really have no idea because like when when I'm you know when I'm on a big set nowadays, and I, it's been like a couple of years since I've been on a, a I'd say big set, medium set, or not even not even a medium set, but big for me. You know, they had like the follow focuses and stuff. They're all electronic, and you know, you've got well, the you've got mention. the camera assistant operating the electronic focus assist while the you yeah. know the DP up here doing his thing, and you know. I don't know if they had that back then or not. So,
0: <laughs> well, well, all of that is really awesome. But then, just these days, you know, more recent recent years, a lot of the filmmakers have really good monitors on exactly. location so yes. that they can see the the full quality that they're getting. And it's weird because they the filmmakers never had that before. They would shoot scenes and see them on these really terrible old black-and-white or cheap-looking standard-definition monitors. Yep. And they were hack jobs with special cords that would feed from the cameras and stuff, and it was poorly recorded, and they would have to listen to the audio through headphones, and the audio had not been tweaked, and they didn't know what the sound design would be like, and the special effects had not been applied yet. And It's it's really... yeah.
1: We yeah as a as a filmmaker myself as an editor I I look back at the tools that they had then and I'm like how how did they make a movie cuz you know I'll and I'll I'll put a shot together or put a scene together in a documentary or something like, oh, No, I don't like that I'll do this and I you know I have that freedom they didn't have those sorts of freedoms so it is very no. interesting it's an interesting study
0: Okay well let's go ahead and talk about some of the stats here and maybe we'll come full circle and talk more about the IMAX but okay. I wanna I want to cover some of the basics about this movie. Okay. A lot of people probably want to know what did an Indiana Jones movie cost back in nineteen eighty one? Um, you know, it's kinda it's really difficult to measure because of inflation and you know, what Steven Spielberg's expectations were for his budget then versus now. But Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, which had not been yet a proven franchise success with Raiders of the Lost Ark. How much did you, did you have any guess as to what the budget was before you found out?
1: No, I mean, I don't try to guess with older films like this because it's just so hard to know.
0: Because when, when growing up, for whatever reason, I guess as a kid, I actually thought through this a little bit, and in my childlike brain... I compared Raiders of the Lost Ark to the Star Wars films. Mm. I remember a time with the Star Wars films before George Lucas came along and ruined them with new releases and updated scenes and junk. And I remember thinking to myself, even before they were updated, wow, everything about a Star Wars film is so technologically advanced. It's amazing. It's gorgeous. (laughs) In all cases, it wasn't in all cases, but it was it was very impressive, right? And when I compared it to what I what I thought I saw on screen for Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, I thought, wow, this has got to be a significantly lower budget, mm. uh, because I just it, it it what where they spent the money didn't translate into a big budget looking film in the case of Indiana Jones. I was impressed by just how simple and straightforward the, pr- the presence of the uh, everything in the movie appears to be. Uh, is, but anyway, maybe you can appreciate this little you know issue once you know how much the budget actually was. It was 18 million, estimated at an, an 18 million dollars. Mm-hmm. And to me, for, for that time, that, that's a, that's sizable
1: that is sizable, and especially since you were already mentioning it, compared to Star Wars, uh, the original Star Wars movie had a budget of $11 million.
0: Exactly. And that was made in 1978, 77? The original Star
1: Wars? 1977. Yeah. So, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a little, bit, a little bit of that is probably Lucas had a little bit more money to play with at this point, because he had had a successful film, Star Wars. And this is a Lucasfilm production. So, um, yeah, True. I mean... I think he had a little bit more money to play with. And you know what? Uh, they, they spent some money on this film for in 1981 to do the things they did. So, yeah, I suppose it doesn't really surprise me too much. Uh, opening weekend surprises me. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I have no idea what they would have expected at that time. They didn't make their money back on opening weekend. Uh, there was $8,305,823 on 1,078 screens.
0: But that's still very good for just the first weekend.
1: That's true, and then you and, know, and that's
0: all, yeah, that is like you said, opening up in a, a one thousand seventy eight screens. So th- again, that's that is really good. We have more screens these days.
1: Yeah, it's true. They didn't have as many screens then. So, and it's it's done well over its lifetime. I mean, compared to the budget, three hundred and eighty four million world worldwide gross. mm Hmm. So, uh,
0: and it was the biggest grossing film of nineteen eighty one. Hmm. I think it's well-deserved. Yeah. So I really don't think that a story, you know, a a brief on the uh, storyline is necessary. If you haven't seen Raiders of the Lost Ark yet, or if you don't know what it is about, go watch it. Yeah. Just, just do put yourself through that.
1: Hey, do you you think uh, I was wishing Spielberg would be a little more obvious. Like I I wish I knew what his opinion of Nazis was. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You're right. Uh, He's so
1: it, subtle. <laughs> well, <laughs>
0: can, can you hear the sarcasm? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what he was thinking.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, did, did you hear? I when I was uh, writing the uh, the review for Raiders of the Lost Ark, I I came across a story that the reason, and I didn't realize this, the Regan, one of the reasons that Megan Fox got fired from the most recent Transformers movie was because she said something about Michael Bay being like Hitler. She as, also said as, some
0: outrageous stuff about, you know, religious people. Well, <laughs> sure. Christians, I mean, the, the, Christians in the, particular. The, so
1: Fox has a mouth, no doubt. But uh, yeah, yeah. But, but when she said it, it, that Bay was like Hitler, I guess Spielberg, who was one of the producers, said, she's out of here. Yeah. Gone. Don't blame Spielberg also made uh, Schindler's List. So I think we can gather based on that and, and the way he portrayed Nazis in this film that he doesn't really care for them.
0: Mm -mm.
1: but you know i i I actually did uh one of my i I found myself wishing that we had more of the creepy nazi dude like he was an interesting he was an interesting villain he wasn't on screen that much
0: you know if they ever wanted to go back and like Oh, what am I asking for? Never mind. <laughs> no,
1: no, no, no. Because the, next, <laughs> Never the very mind. next section in my review after Spielberg doesn't like Nazis is uh, my appreciation for how Spielberg hasn't changed this film at all. He didn't change anything about it. Even, even as you pointed out to me, a mistake uh, or more of something that they cut, but then you could still see the guy lying on the ground even though they cut the fight. Um, and I hadn't realized it, but you know, he didn't even go, he didn't change that. And I actually appreciate that, because this is, he's like, this is the film.
0: I have to wonder, too, uh, of Spielberg's older films, his earlier career, you know, he, when he came out with the E.T. special edition uh, just a few years ago, he made several minor changes. Yep. If you were familiar with the, the original and you saw the new one, but you weren't like... Fanatical about it, and you had not re- recently seen the film, then you probably wouldn't have noticed the changes. But they there were changes that were very subtle, that even impact the meaning of what's happening. It, not just you know subtle things like replacing a mistake in the background, but changing something about like well, for instance, here's one example. There were some like FBI agents in one scene in the original version, they were running around uh, for what they were doing in the scene in e t and they were holding pistols guns and the like and for the nature of the scene the FBI was supposed to represent a threat to the main characters of the story
1: yeah
0: how so when Spielberg made his remastery of e t he replaced the guns in the FBI's hands with walkie-talkies.
1: And why he did that is beyond me, but he did.
0: But but then the fans responded. There were very good articles about this, very articulate opinions, made a really persuasive case that you know, this isn't arbitrary. This isn't just fanboys lashing out because this, you know, Spielberg tampered with a classic. They actually made a fairly well-rounded case that such things just ought not to be tempered with older films.
1: Uh, And I tend to agree.
0: And so Spielberg came out in some interviews and actually said, you know what? Y'all are right. And I won't do that again. And I'm sorry I did. (laughs) And And (laughs) frankly, for future editions of the movie, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to turn
1: it back. And I wish some of that would rub off on Lucas, you know?
0: <laughs> At least, ways give us the option to see the older editions in addition to the one you're giving us now well, that's current.
1: <laughs> yeah, Lucas adds insult to injury, though, because he, likes to, he, he claims that the original edits don't exist, that those weren't preserved. Seriously? Come on. Don't give me that. <laughs> that's nonsense. <laughs> uh yeah. yeah films are preserved that's not a problem anyway but spielberg i, I appreciate that about him he he recognizes mistake with et and he has steered way around that like i would have been okay with him fixing that mistake that you pointed out i would have been okay with him masking out that person on the ground because that's not critical of the story but he's like no we're not touching it and i i appreciate that i really do because as, as i know as a filmmaker i would have said oh we're re-releasing this great let's clean up you know, <laughs> let's 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 go clean up our mess. You know, I can appreciate that, but uh, he didn't do it, and and I applaud him for it. So, uh, but you know, move, moving on, uh, th- this film, uh, I, I had a lot of fun rewatching it. Um, and and one of the things that surprises me is, um, you know, Karen Allen did a great job as Marion, and I'm really surprised that they didn't get her back for the other two movies that they made after this one.
0: Hmm, yeah, and, and that is a disappointment for me as well. I remember growing up thinking that. Where did Marion go? At least ways to give an explanation.
1: Yeah, I mean, what, what was up with that? Why not have her back? And who knows what, maybe there was breakdown in uh, negotiations. Maybe it was a budgetary thing and she was asking for too much money. I mean, who knows? But it really is a shame because uh, she, she played, I mean, she did a really great job. I en- enjoyed it. every time she was in a scene, I enjoyed it.
0: I think, I, but well, I think I know the reason. In hindsight, um, I remember throughout the 90s that this was discussed more often than it has been in recent years because in the 90s it was still fresh. You know, Indiana Jones was coming out on VHS release and that hadn't been around before for very long. And more people were getting VHS and VCRs and they were revisiting movies that they hadn't seen, you know, before, except for hit or miss, you know you know, uh, showings on television. Yeah. So around that time, there was a new surge of interest in movies that were popular back in the day, and Indiana Jones was being discussed again. I remember then that a great number of reports, the, the rumor mill had it, that the reason Spielberg Lucas didn't have the heroine come back was because... Was she a heroine? Am, am I mixing my terms? I guess she wasn't really a heroine. No, she was just the leading lady. Yeah. Okay. The leading lady didn't return because they were trying to follow the pattern of the James Bond movies. And because several little things about the Indiana Jones films were inspired by James Bond, they, they originally thought to themselves, well, Indiana Jones could be like many, many installments – And we imagine Indiana Jones following the pattern of James Bond for no apparent reason. If the woman doesn't die, we don't need to bring her back, you know. Uh, (laughs) And so uh, that was just like the assumption. Well, who cares? We're just patterning this after other movies and, you know, and and throughout pop culture. So it went without saying, well, of course we won't have uh, the woman return. Uh, and, And, you know, it's funny. Is uh, that's one thing, one of the few things I think the Crystal Skull got right.
1: They brought that, her back.
0: That they brought her back, and I think that that was a show of where Lucas and Steven Spielberg are now. In another interview, uh, talking with, uh, about Spielberg's philosophy of old mo- his older movies and how it's changed in regards to how he characterizes movies today, he was talking about his family values. When he made, uh, what is it? Uh, the something or other of the fourth kind. What is that again? Close um, Encounters? Close Encounters, thank you, of the fourth kind. When he made that film, he has the protagonist for a good chunk of the film basically abandon his family. And Spielberg was asked about that today. Actually, when I say today, I mean like this year. And in the interview, he pointed out, if he could go back now, he would rewrite the story so that the protagonist would not abandon his family, mm. and because that matters to him now, and it didn't then. Right, and a and a writer back then was telling him when he was in the process of writing the film. They, that writer told him, "Hey, you know, you have the guy leaving his family, and you know that's just bad. He's he, he the protagonist. Don't make him do that." Yeah, and and Spielberg, like he just didn't get it. He didn't see why that mattered. And I think sort of a similar thing must have happened with Marion. These days, if Spielberg were making these films now, he probably would have had Marion stick around.
1: Yeah, you're probably right. And I've heard that story before about uh, Spielberg, and I'd forgotten it, and you you reminded me of it. So that's, that's kind of a fun thing uh yeah i i wish she would have come back uh but you know she didn't and and she was fun in this movie i mean i i just i don't know what it was her, her i don't know her presence her, her character uh i really <laughs> i really enjoyed as, as as ludicrous as it was she would down these you know really hard liquors and stay completely sober i just
0: <laughs> yeah know? and she's not a typical mm, female pop star like today no not at all <laughs> These days they all look kind of like Barbie. And uh Marion still looked a little bit more like she was patterned after Raggedy Ann. Yeah. In a good in a good way. You know, like that yep. was cool. Yep. I-, I liked that.
1: Yeah, and then you know the other of course I, John Reese Davies. I mean just delightful um as Sala. Uh, I really enjoyed him. Uh <laughs> my favorite line Let's see if I can affect a John Reese Davies uh, accent here. Asps, very dangerous. You go
0: first. <laughs> <laughs> you got a long way to work on yes, that. Yes, <laughs> yes.
1: I don't have the voice for it, but I love that line. <laughs> it very is very dangerous. Vo- you go first.
0: <laughs> yeah, his voice is classic. Maybe they should have had his voice for the uh, voiceovers of the uh, for uh, for Glory or whatever it was called.
1: <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But yeah, he, I mean, he, he,
0: he'd do great just as a voiceover artist.
1: Yeah, he probably would. Uh yeah. But you know, just... mo
0: most people would remember that uh Davies was uh the dwarf in Lord of the Rings. Right, he was, of course. Uh, Gimli? I think Is that's what he'll
1: go down in history for. Yes, Gimli.
0: Yeah. I mean he's he's most notable for that trilogy and this one. He he was in the last crusade too, right?
1: Oh, he was in all three.
0: Was he in all three? I believe so. Well, then, why didn't he come back for the crystal skull?
1: Ah, uh, who knows? Maybe he commanded too much money these days.
0: Maybe. Hmm. That's a very odd. Let me odd make sure thing.
1: he's in Temple of Doom.
0: I didn't think he was.
1: Mm, you because, know what? I don't see of him. Maybe and I just all. assumed because he was in Last Crusade.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, I don't yeah, see him in he, Temple he, of But Doom.
0: he was a great character. And. They surprisingly did well with him in the Raiders of the Lost Ark. His character had a significant influence. Yes. And yet, at the same time, he was inspired by these side characters from old-fashioned adventure action films of the 30s and the like, where a character like that didn't always make a difference. Ordinarily, protagonists were the guys who... Carried the movie on their shoulders. They they made all the good things happen.
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean, side he, characters he, like
0: his wouldn't have done anything he saved, worthwhile.
1: He saved Indiana Jones. I mean, he exactly. He, <laughs> he kept him from eating that bad date.
0: <laughs> it's not very often we we see a movie that allows that to happen today either. Right. Like if, like oh, classic example in Spider Man Three. They should have allowed Peter Parker's friend Harry to save peter parker's life at at one particular instance I'm thinking of in the movie, yeah, yeah, and I thought it was just so natural it's the way it should have happened, but it's yeah. like the movie went to great lengths to to say, no, Peter Parker and Spiderman's the hero here." what about indiana jones even indiana jones has to be rescued every now and then
1: yep no i i agree i mean that give your i mean if you're gonna have supporting characters let them support and uh that was that was very well done i and i enjoyed his character so uh yeah was well, well one
0: way to look at the uh, at it there tj <laughs> supporting characters are supposed to support who to thunk
1: yeah exactly <laughs> i want to talk about we're running out of time but i want to talk about the score of course i have to talk about this it was uh Two paragraphs in my review and pretty lengthy uh, section. I mean, as far as the sections go. Um, so we should talk about it.
0: Well, you know, John Williams is utterly
1: His, the score polarizing. Is, the score is very John Williamsy. There is no doubt. Here, Here's the thing that I, you know, I, I said this in my review. I've said this a lot to people in conversations. Uh, my wife is of the same opinion. John Williams writes really, really great, inspiring themes. When I think of John Williams, first thing that comes to mind is the Superman theme. And that is such, a, that to me, that is his best work, is the Superman theme. And of course, the Imperial March is probably his my second favorite work of his. And, you know, the Jaws theme, the Home Alone theme, uh, love the Home Alone theme, uh, the, the Hedwig's theme from Harry Potter, I mean, just great stuff. But when you get into his scores, the actual ebb and flow of the film he is horrible the uh, uh, nothing about his scores ever i mean with with star wars is okay but even so I, i i feel like he misses subtlety he does not understand subtlety at all all his music is bombastic and big and there's never any quiet moments when there's when there's music it's not quiet and it's just big and bombastic and overwhelming and he misses the mood of films, I find, a lot. And What's then, an
0: example of a composer that hits the mark?
1: I think right now my favorite composer is Hans Zimmer. Another great one is uh, James Newton Howard. Uh, and he really understands... Oh, just his work on The Hunger Games is phenomenal. He understands how to underscore the moment and, and to be subtle with the music. And I, I don't think John Williams understands how to be subtle with his music. You
0: know, as as, as much as you and I both are interested in movie soundtracks. I'm surprised that you don't listen to my other friend's uh, podcast. His his show is The Sounds and Sights of Cinema.
1: Uh, I should, but I'm just so overwhelmed on podcasts right now. He is so
0: (laughs) gifted. He has more movie soundtracks than Best Buy and (laughs) Amazon combined. This guy has exclusive soundtracks in his personal library that never made it to film. Like, he has the original score to Remember the Titans in its mm. entirety that never made it to screen, that was completely replaced. He has that kind of stuff. But anyway, his show is great. You, you'd love it. He talks about movie soundtracks every week. And uh, his podcast is online. We'll have to have him on here sometime because we are always bringing up movie soundtracks. And that guy's a whiz about these things.
1: Yeah, well, I'd love to have him. Yeah, we've talked about guests. And we're coming up on our 10th episode. So I think we're about to get ourselves established. And then we can start bringing on guests to to enhance the show. But let's we'll talk about that. But, yeah, I mean, that, that's my – I really I, – you know the other thing that bugged me about this particular score, and this is coming off the heels of Star Wars, so maybe John Williams is just in that mindset and couldn't get out of it. But so much of the music was trying to transport me into Star Wars, and it just seemed wrong.
0: <laughs> I agree with you, especially with, I mean, these, these, the, the themes, right? It's the themes more so than the general background music. Yeah. For, for me anyways. Yep. It's not, it's not like anything sounds like the Imperial March or anything, but then there is this tune that you hear, I think it's at least in Return of the Jedi, if not also in The Empire Strikes Back, which was called the Luke Leia theme. Oh, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's it, it's a beautiful piece and it's a great music just to listen to on its own. But then in Indiana Jones, which came around the same time that John Williams would have been working on the Luke and Leia theme, in Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the love theme almost sounds like the same thing. Not not just for a few chords or for a few measures, but for almost its entirety.
1: Yeah. And this this is a mark of how bad that is. I was analyzing it as I was into the film watching. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm I'm actually calling back that theme, Luke and Leia's theme, in my mind. Going, okay, note, no Oh, he went down on that note instead of up, but the rest is exactly the same. <laughs> so yeah, I completely and totally agree with you. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, for for anyone who wants to has the film and wants to see where that moment is at, that music that I'm exactly talking about when uh, Indiana Jones is kind of mourning what he thinks is the death of Marion, and he's sitting there getting drunk at the table right after marion supposedly dies that is the that's the music we're talking about yeah and it's just horrible it really is um i'm sorry i know that the people you you know like you said john williams is very polarizing john williams has his fans and and if you like john williams i respect that I, i and i like i love his themes i love his themes can't stand his scores if that makes any sense
0: i agree um and on those lines I have to agree also that I appreciate the the whole of a movie soundtrack by someone like Hans Zimmer yeah. or Claus or Jerry Goldsmith even. I think Goldsmith uh, Jer- is a he, bit in between.
1: He tended to John be a little too bombastic as well. I, I I in fact in our review of Total Recall the uh, I meant to bring that up for the 1991 uh, Total Recall Jerry uh, Goldsmith scored that and Boyd, could I tell it? It was very Jerry Goldsmithy <laughs> and a little bit oh. bombastic, but that's you know, everybody has their taste in in music, and, and John Williams just doesn't quite hit it for me when it comes to the overall movie. So
0: I I hear you. I'm actually speaking of um, movie themes right now. The one that's always on my mind has got to be the upcoming Men of Steel Superman movie uh, theme. I mean, we're, mm. talking about, we're talking about movie themes, so I'm bringing this up. I know this is off topic, but... That's okay, go ahead. It's on my mind all the time, because uh, super, super, the original Superman theme was established by John Williams.
1: And it's awesome.
0: And it's awesome, and it's been honored by movie soundtracks that weren't even produced or composed by John Williams john williams composed most of the original superman theme with christopher reeve the starring as clark kent Mm -hmm. and that was in the late 70s again around the time of star wars and then you know actually you can see there's a lot of familiar similarity between the soundtrack of superman and star wars and indiana jones they have a lot in common those three yeah you're right they do And Williams got a Academy Award for the love theme in the original Indiana Jones. I'm super sorry. Superman.
1: And I have to give him credit. That was the Superman theme uh, and, and the love theme in Superman was much more unique and you couldn't really pin it to any other work. I have to give him that.
0: Right. And what's interesting to me, too, is that as long as there'll be Star Wars films and God forbid that there's more in the making, <laughs> we'll probably get the same Star Wars theme for all of them.
1: And that's okay, though. That's Th- That good. would be okay.
0: Absolutely. It's imperative. But then with uh, a, a trilogy like, uh, or a series like Indiana Jones, they use the same theme again. But then with the Superman themes, this new one is actually the first time a Superman movie is not going to have that uh, John Williams theme
1: as far as we know
0: uh as far as we know you're right but it, it, it was but I, reported. Would be, I would it's be it's already been reported
1: yeah I, I think they're wanting to make such a clean break that I think even if you know if I were in their position and as much as I like the previous Superman movie knowing how poorly it's received I would I would have to say okay uh, we, we just have to make a clean break you know and as much as it saddens me like honor the theme and then and then do your own thing with the music but, you know, I think that I don't think they're going to do that. So,
0: yeah, I, I think that they're trying to reimagine Superman in many ways. Yep. So, I, yeah, I can see that getting away. But, okay, yeah. So, back to John Williams and Indiana Jones.
1: Well, I, I think we need to wrap it up. I think the last thing, question I have I, I gave my star rating in my review three and a half stars. What would you rate this film out of five?
0: Well, I am a fan. And to be honest, I think that I will enjoy the movie many times to come. And I have enjoyed the movie many, many times. In fact, it's sort of like, it's one of those rare movies that suits seeing once a year. No particular time of the year, right? There's some movies you see at a particular time of the year. Like you catch It's a Wonderful Life at Christmas. Yeah,
1: And well, other families I, I, have I traditions but... like...
0: yeah yeah others you know you're weird you you do whatever you want no i think it's a
1: horrible film Anyway,
0: (laughs) and then other families they catch movies like the wizard of oz or you know the sound of music in the springtime and stuff like that yeah indiana jones it's one of those movies you usually catch in the summer and it's just great you enjoy it it's like a ritual and so you can count the times you've seen it and you can remember who you've seen it with.
1: Were, were you going to give us a star rating tonight?
0: <laughs> the reason I bring this up, the reason I bring this up in relation to my star rating is to say that this movie is kind of timeless. I feel, I, think that, I
1: feel like you're defending whatever you're about to tell us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, I think that this film is kind of timeless. I, I think that it would have worked for 1940s audiences as well as it does for audiences today. And that is remarkable for such an ordinary story that that's an action flick. And uh, so I'm going to give it a solid four and a half out of five stars.
1: Ooh, no wonder you were so defensive. Dude, <laughs> four and a half stars for a, yeah. for a summer movie.
0: It, it all boils down to how much do you like the film? Okay. And like I said, I have to also give just one mild disclaimer. And the truth is, I am a fan. So
1: yeah. All right, well, I think that kind of wraps it up unless you had anything else you wanted to talk about.
0: Well, I was just going to mention that Rotten Tomatoes meter, it's got a 94 from critics and a 93 from audiences. And IMDb's Metascore gives it a 90 out of 100.
1: So it does pretty well.
0: And for the most part, I think that most of the film works and very little of the movie doesn't work. Most of the things that don't work are inconsistencies that are mild and minor. Um, things like the visual effects not being up to par with today's standards. But, hey, this is a you know movie from the early 80s. You well, can't help and, that. So. And, and
1: I think that all that stuff, uh, because the film doesn't take itself so super seriously, that's okay.
0: Exactly. Yeah, And then a couple of times, I kind of wish that Indiana Jones himself were developed better. But as I mentioned earlier, I kind of think that the whole of the trilogy developed him in a decent way. So it honored what they did with Raiders. They didn't try to make up for anything. Mm -hmm. And in that regard, it kind of feels like it was intentional that... They didn't get more into the psyche of Indiana Jones in this installment. So while on the one hand, it feels like a con, like something that didn't work, that we didn't better connect with Indiana. At the same time, it, it does work for itself. So there's a few things like that. And it's because of those little things that I don't give it five out of five stars.
1: <laughs> All right. All right. Well, next week we are going to uh, review Snow White and the Huntsman. Just came out for home entertainment release. Uh, I have already purchased it on iTunes, and oh, I, I bought an Apple TV last week, Joseph. So uh, I'm going to check that uh, workflow out. I,
0: yeah, you're going to have to talk about that in next week's episode.
1: Maybe I will. I really like it. It's it's working a lot better for me. The Mac Mini it's, it's been releg- it's relegated now to serving my files and my massive iTunes library. Um, and so that works really well, does it all over the network and, uh, the Apple TV is a much better device for a remote. So
0: very cool.
1: Yep. All right. Well, Joseph, uh, you, uh, you, you make your way around the internet, don't you?
0: <laughs> I do with that.
1: Where can people find you? Keep up with you.
0: They can find me on the internet at jivingjackalope.com. That is my personal site. I talk about tech and culture and design and, uh, you know, creative thinking. And then I'm also available on the social networks. So catch me on Twitter. I'm at Joseph Darnell. And if you want to catch me on Facebook, which I'm not really crazy about, but if you wanted to catch me there, I just go to josephdarnell.com and that takes you straight to my profile.
1: All right. I also have a website, uh, buzzingpixel.com. It's where I write about uh, a lot of the same things you do, Joseph, technology and Apple related things. Uh, So you can catch my work there. Uh, you can uh, find me on Twitter. I am TJ Draper Pro on Twitter, and you can also find me on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash TJ Draper. So, uh, all right, well, that was fun, and I'm looking forward to Snow White and the Huntsman. Great, great film that we're going to review next week. So, uh, we'll talk about it next week. Thanks, Joseph.
0: <laughs> all right, let's do that. All right.